audiobook, audiobook release, podcast, authors, narrators, interviews, industry news, reviews, sponsored by eAudioProductions.com. Welcome to the audiobook release podcast, a show for audiobook lovers. Stay tuned as we share the latest news from the audiobook industry. We interview established and upcoming authors. We talk with popular narrators and review a wide range of audiobooks. Brought to you by eAudioProductions.com. Audiobook productions, podcast editing, music for media, voiceovers, song productions and more. Repairing Our Divided Nation. A book filled with history lessons that can be used to solve the racial and political divisions that are tearing apart our country and threatening our future. If we are to create the more perfect union our founders envisioned, these lessons, including summaries of Supreme Court cases from the 1800s that continue to negatively impact society today, should be required reading for all Americans. Dave Ellison's desire is to help create a better world for all, no matter one's color or political persuasion. If this is also your desire, this audiobook is a must-listen. Repairing Our Divided Nation by Dave Ellison. Audiobook. Produced by E-Audio Productions. Available on your favorite audiobook platform. Hello, and welcome to the Audiobook Release Podcast. I'm Matt Rafferty. And I'm Leah Rafferty. Joining us today is David Ellison, author of Repairing Our Divided Nation. David is an avid reader of books about history, politics, the division within our country, and the Constitution. His first book, Politics Beyond Left and Right, A Guide for Creating a More Unified Nation, was published in 2017. He currently lives in Milford, Connecticut, and is a partner with his wife, Stephanie, in the Ellison Homes team, a real estate brokerage firm. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you for uh, having me on. So before we get to our interview with David, here's a short sample of the audiobook version of Repairing Our Divided Nation. Let's go back to our nation's beginning and take a look at our founders, why they risked their lives to start a new country, why they created and implemented a very specific form of government, why the principles and promises they laid out in the Declaration of Independence and the laws established in the U.S. Constitution to carry out those principles and promises make these two precious documents inseparable and still relevant today, and why they dealt with the hideous institution of slavery in the manner with which they did. Our founders, many of whom were great students of history and philosophy, believed in what are called natural rights, rights that are universal and precede anything that is a man-made law. To understand America, you must understand the principle of natural rights. Since natural comes from the word nature, which in Latin means to be born or produced, most people believe these rights are God-given. However, non-believers in God also believe in the theory of natural rights, but do not feel they come from a religious foundation. In any event, Natural rights shaped natural law, which is a higher law than man-made civil law. Quote, if the law of men, civil law, does not conform with the commands of nature, divine law, the Roman philosopher Cicero argued that by definition, the former cannot be truly considered law, as true law is right reason in harmony with nature. End quote. 
Our founding was based on the belief in these God-given natural rights, and it differentiated America from all other nations. So, what are these natural rights to which everyone in the world, not just Americans, is entitled? They are found in Thomas Jefferson's words within the first half of the second paragraph in our Declaration of Independence. His words were inspired by philosopher John Locke, who argued that, quote, all men are born equal, with a natural right to life, liberty, and property, end quote. Both Locke and Jefferson studied the work of Cicero, who believed that natural law was global, not regional, and that to live under such law should be the right of all people throughout the world and throughout time. Cicero referred to this as true law and stated that, quote, it is constant and eternal, end quote. What this tells us is Wow, that-, that sounds great. So, David, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, where did you grow up and where were you raised? Well, I uh, grew up in uh, Meriden, Connecticut, and I reside in Milford, Connecticut, and uh, went to the school system in Meriden, then went on to uh, Bryant University, where I studied finance and accounting, and it got me uh, to where I am today living in Milford and uh, working with my wife uh, in the real estate business. So can you tell us a little bit about your writing background? How did you get started in writing? Well, prior to working with Stephanie, I was a certified financial planner and uh, I used to be an editor and publisher of my own financial newsletter. So I figured, you know, that it, a lot of concepts are easier to explain in writing than they are verbally. So that got me in, into writing. Had nothing to do with where I was uh, going to end up writing books. I never thought about writing a book, you know, way back then. But then uh, a number of things were bothering me uh, politically and financially and some of the things that were going on in the country. So I started writing letters to the editor and I found that uh, they can edit an editorial. Mm. And one day I I called the editor of uh, one of the newspapers, and I forget what his name was. We'll just call him Mike. And I said, hey, Mike, who wrote that article on such and such? Huh. He said, ha Dave, you know it was you. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, Mike, quite frankly, I, I don't. I don't even recognize it. Oh. And that's when I stopped writing to newspapers with letters to the editor. And a couple of years later, I said, you know, I have enough material to write a book. And that's what you know, where politics beyond left and right came from. Interesting, because Ben Franklin also used to write letters to the editor in his own way. And there you are. Now you're going into history. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they really changed it that much that you saw it completely different than the the original intention? Uh, About 180 degrees. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I did not realize that um, Uh, letters to the editors were edited. No, I would never think that a newspaper would do that. Yeah, well, they can do it, and uh, they just they just went a little too far that time, and uh, I had had enough. In a way, that was a good thing because it made you rethink your writing. Now you wrote a book. Yep, it was all based on you know why I wrote the book and why I would write letters to the editor. And that was my anger and frustration with the racial and political divides in our society, and my desire to make a difference in the world. So, you know, the racial divide to me, totally disgust me of what's going on. And I blame much of that on our educational system for continually avoiding to address the negative effects our country's leaders during and shortly after Reconstruction have had on our nation. I really think that needs to be addressed in our school system 
And I would I would like to see that change. And then from the political divide, it's obvious to me that winning an election has become more important to our uh, elected representatives in Washington than doing what is in the best interest of our country. This party over country attitude needs to stop and Congress needs to follow our Constitution and stop abdicating many of its responsibilities to the president and the administrative agencies. And it sounds like you had a personal story regarding racism. Your father's best friend was a black gentleman? Yes. Yep. My father since passed, and our relationship goes back to the 60s. And this gentleman has become my Connecticut dad since my parents moved to Florida in June of 76. We talk regularly. He's 93 years old, went through Jim Crow. I've learned so much from from him. I love him. And uh, I talk with him more than more than I talk to his uh, his sons. And and I'm good friends with their with his sons, too. So (laughs) that's great. Yeah. Well, David, can you tell me the difference between your first book, Politics Beyond Left and Right, and your current book, Repairing Our Divided Nation? Certainly. Be glad to. The first book, Politics Beyond Left and Right, was a lot of opinions from me, well-researched, and I did you know, include a lot of historical types of things, but it was more opinion than anything else you know, in a variety of subjects, you know, from abortion, gay rights, immigration, the tax code, and so many more. You know, I had 20 chapters there. Uh, short quickies, uh, and uh, I backed up what I had learned with quite a bit of opinion. This book, Repairing Our Divided Nation, I actually like it a lot more. It's more of a history book where I take lessons from the past to show how we can use them to create a better tomorrow. And I do that in uh, you know, a variety of ways. Uh, I read 17 books and countless articles to put this together. And there's a lot of information uh, that that is uh, really, I think, should be a lot of it should be required reading in schools. So, uh, or by every American, uh, for that matter, because I, I believe that we can uh, mend our racial and political uh, divides. So this one uh, goes in quite deeply uh, in, into those areas and I think I have some uh, darn good solutions for a better tomorrow, but they're not all my ideas. <laughs> Lessons from history. Dave Ellison, financial planner, real, realtor. Uh, that's what my background was. You know, this, no, uh, I don't have all the answers, but I know where to get them. It sounds like you did a lot of research. Yeah, 17 books, and I'm not a fast reader. So, <laughs> but it, it was certainly pleasurable. After I finished my first book in 2017, I don't think I read a serious book for a year. I was kind of shell-shocked, but mm-hmm. I started you know, getting back into it again in 2018, you know, a year later, when my cousin uh, brought me over a book that she thought would be of interest, 800 Pages, These Truths by uh, Dr. Jill Lepore, and uh, that got me going again. So yeah, I put a lot of research into, wow. uh, into this. So was research the most challenging aspect of writing the book? Well, when you're not a speed reader, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, uh, yeah, that was probably the most challenging because I, I love to write. So that part of it, you know, you end up writing each sentence maybe 25 times or so. So, you know, that can be challenging and time consuming, but uh, a lot more time consuming was all the research. 
Mm-hmm. So you were researching as you were writing, or did you do all your research, take notes, and then write? When I write a book, I write, you don't want to read the book after I read it. I have notes everywhere, highlighting notes, torn pages, you name it, underlining, everything. But mostly I had read all the books first. I was taking notes along the way. Okay, I want this chapter, such and such. And, you know, this is about what I'm you know, thinking, but not direct writing. It was, you know, that came all at the end. I see. So it was more of an outline. Yep. Although one of the books, I, I thought I was done researching and uh, one of my buddies, <laughs> pretty smart guy, MIT undergrad and a Chicago Booth MBA. So he said, oh, Dave, you got to read this book, The Politics Industry by Catherine Guile and Michael Porter. And I said, OK, consider it done. And what a phenomenal book that was. So I was able to add some things. I had, I had had most of the book already done. One of their ideas, the main part of their whole premise, I already had. But the second part, which dovetails with the first, was just so amazing that I said, oh, God, this is this is great. And then I learned a whole heck of a lot more, too, you know, besides that. So, uh, yeah, I kept on reading, even though I was already writing and I'd continually add more and more info until press time. (laughs) I just find this so interesting to listen to you because I hear the passion in your voice and how many people can be that passionate about what they're doing. Not many. So um, congratulations on finding this passion and then actually acting on it because because a lot of people do find passion but then oh i have my day job i'm not gonna worry about it but you actually took action so it's wonderful to listen to your excitement thank you well david can you tell me about the title and how you came up with the title for repairing our divided nation well it wasn't my first choice at first interestingly because coming up with a title is not the easiest thing to do and i was thinking of calling it america's biggest mistake and my editor, uh, he said, Dave, he says, great title. You addressed it perfectly, but that's not the whole premise throughout the whole book. So we need a new title. So it just came down to, and I can explain America's biggest mistake in a moment if you'd like, but we just settled on, you know, repairing our divided nation because that was, you know, the central theme of the book and with a subtitle of how to fix America's broken government, racial inequity and troubled schools. So since I didn't stick with that one central theme, although I think it's one of the coolest ideas that I had was my research told me that America's biggest mistake was a doozy. I'm convinced that had the leaders of our country during and shortly after Reconstruction respected and followed the Constitution, our nation would not have the racial divide it has today. And because the repercussions are still affecting America, I believe that not adhering to the Constitution during this critical period in U.S. history is America's biggest mistake. This non-adherence you know, also set the bad precedent that gave the false impression to future leaders that it is permissible to disregard our Constitution when it does not meet their personal beliefs and agenda. Since our Constitution is the supreme law of the land, as written in the Constitution, it is illegal not to comply with it. So not complying has had grave consequences, particularly for people of color. Some people might argue or try to argue, oh, slavery, you know, was a bigger mistake. And I disagree with that. Slavery had been around for thousands of years before our country was formed in 1776. And I explained in the book that it could not have been eliminated without risking the formation of our union. And because of that, I I believe that when our country's leaders 
during that time had used the death pill of racism. That's what I refer to adherence to the constitution. It was a bigger mistake because than slavery, because racism is still haunting our nation today. And I go through cases, uh, Supreme court cases, which back up my premise that it is, it's not only hurt America back then, it is still adversely affecting America today. Well, Repairing Our Divided Nation is also available on audiobook, which is produced by e-audio production, and it's available on Audible, Google Play, Scribd, audiobooks.com, and 40-plus retailers and libraries. So let's talk about the audiobook version of Repairing Our Nation. It was edited and mixed and mastered by e-audio productions? Yes, it was. And what was that process like? Well, uh, I'm glad they did it and I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) It was funny. After the first book, my nephew kept saying, Dave, you know, you got to put a, an audio book out there. I don't read regular books. I said, oh, gosh. So I went to a local studio that does some high quality stuff for organizations all over the country. And I sat in there for, and, and tried to do it for two hours. I didn't like the way I sounded. You have to learn how to breathe and turn pages and right. enunciate. Uh, it is an art. And I applaud Elias and his crew. Right. They do amazing work. They do. They really do. So did you have a say in who was a narrator? Yes. They gave me as many choices as I wanted. My wife and I listened to 10 of them. We made a selection and so glad we did. It was a easy process. I got to you know, listen to each chapter as it was completed. That must have been a great feeling to, to hear your words. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> I, I was thrilled to hear it. And my narrator, I thought, did a great job. You know, we just a few things here and there. You change. He makes the changes, you know, on pronunciation on different words that, you know, uh, not everybody would know. And, you know, I think the final version came out great. That's wonderful. So what has been the best thing that has happened to you since you wrote your two books? In this book, my, who I refer to as my Connecticut dad, my father's best friend, he's asked me to send it to a couple school districts, the superintendent of schools in a couple different towns. He says, I want them to read this book because I believe that you're onto something and people need to hear what you're talking about and what you're proposing. Because, you know, much of what I talk about would be changing not how history is taught, but being more, more truthful and bringing up the warts as well as the good things. Because, you know, I believe that knowledge brings up compassion and empathy in people and most people anyway. I was thrilled to see that happen and, you know, with other people. Oh, this is a book that I can I can share with my aunt or because it's less opinion again. This is more of a history book. So they're not listening to Dave Ellison so much as they are just some great ideas that I've been able to learn. To me, that's been thrilling. The whole process of what I've learned by reading all these 17 books and countless articles and my level of confidence in dealing with the subjects. It's exciting. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where I take it after that. This is a look at the history book versus a politics book, but everything is politics affects every aspect of our lives. So who knows? Uh, we may dabble a little bit in, in that or trying to influence policy. I think that's what I'd most be most interested in is influencing policy. Mm, very interesting. Very good. That's very good. And what about advice for aspiring writers? You would do it not for making money but for the passion of conveying your message. I think if you go into it that way, then you'll find writing to be a pleasurable experience. If you're thinking that you're going to make a boatload of money, that's not going to happen. 
unless you're Stephen King or uh, Brad Thor or somebody who writes series of books. But if you're writing nonfiction, like I do, you got to do it for the love of it. Well, David, while writing Repairing Our Divided Nation, who were your favorite authors? There were several of them. When you read that many books, okay? But one of the most influential one for me was The Founder's Key by Dr. Larry Arn. That I read prior to the first book, and I use some quotes from him in the first one, but it got me on a path of wanting to know more about our founding, the Constitution, our precious documents. And so that really stimulated me to move the whole process forward. And specifically in this book, you know, I mentioned, you know, the problems that we had during Reconstruction and the second founding by Dr. Foner, another great book. These truths I, I mentioned, you know, from Jill Lepore, The Politics Industry, Catherine Guile and Michael Porter, their book was so helpful in trying to help their methods could be helpful in getting the right people into Washington. And they bring up a, you know, a number of the problems that could help with our electoral process. And then always, I went from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to a number of others, Neil mm-hmm. Gorsuch's book, Thomas Sowell, a couple books that I read from him. And he is, I think his common sense approach to things are great. Wealth, Poverty, and Politics. That was an interesting book in that I read the first chapter and I hated it. I absolutely, I said, what am I doing? (laughs) But I trudged on and it ended up becoming one of my favorite books of all time. That's great. Excellent. Well, it sounds like quite a variety there. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. A friend of mine in Connecticut, he's a retired judge. He's a black person. And he wasn't thrilled with some of the books and periodicals that I had read. And I said, I said, but what about these? I said, and and he goes, well, Dave, I have to admit it. You read everything. (laughs) And that's what I do. I don't pigeonhole myself into the right, to the left, to Mm -hmm. this. I want to read and watch everything and then make my own decision as to you know, what's the best path uh, forward. So I think that's one of the problems today in society is that people only read mm-hmm. and watch mm-hmm. and listen to things that already reinforce their preconceived ideas. Absolutely. Okay. And I think that's dead wrong. I used to tell my father, okay, and his buddy, I said, well, you watch one thing, you watch the other. Well, why don't you guys watch a little bit of everything? You know, mm-hmm. they were the best of friends, but you know, politically, they were they were opposites. It was so funny, and they loved each other. So if that's a message that I could get out there for people is read, listen, watch everything, get all the views. You know, there's too much slant going on today. Everybody has a political agenda on TV, uh, social media. Mm-hmm. Right. Get the opinions from all sides before making a decision. Become informed. Excellent I advice. Think, I think that's great advice. So, Dave, a lot of listeners to this podcast are interested in reaching out and talking to the authors. What's the best way for people to reach out and get in touch with you? I think the best way would be through uh, my website, which is uh, repairingourdividednation.com. And uh, I look forward to hearing from your listeners. I hope they enjoy the book. I think they'll learn a lot. But if they disagree with certain things, I particularly like to hear from from those people because uh, that's the way I learn. And I certainly don't have all the answers to all our nation's problems. And that's why I read so much. I learn a lot from my readers and, and everything else and friends. And so please reach out 
and uh, tell me what you like, tell me what you don't like. Excellent. Well, David, it's been great having you on the Audiobook Release Podcast, and it's been great talking to you today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, and uh, I hope your listeners enjoy the book, and uh, I know they'll learn a lot. Thank you so much. Good night. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Audiobook Release Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you'll never miss an episode. We value your opinion, so feel free to post a rating or review. For feedback, inquiries, and more about our audiobook production and publishing services, visit www.audiobookrelease.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Audiobook Release Podcast. Brought to you by eAudioProductions.com. Audiobook Productions, Podcast Editing, Music for Media, Voiceovers, Song Productions, and more.